Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the State Fair's Sweet Martha, some exciting news for Minnesota Wild fans, and a chat with former Golden Gopher Athletic Director Joel Maturi. But first, it's now up to the Minnesota Supreme Court after attorneys for both sides squared off this week in Republican legislators' lawsuit against Governor Mark Dayton for vetoing operating funds for the Minnesota legislature. MNN's Bill Werner joins us with details on the continued legal wrangling. Scott, when Governor Dayton vetoed funding for the Minnesota House and Senate, he was trying to force GOP lawmakers to rescind several tax cuts and budget bills that he signed, plus undo a couple of other measures. A lower court ruled the governor overstepped his authority, as the judge put it, effectively eliminating a co-equal branch of government violating the separation of powers clause in the Minnesota Constitution. The governor appealed, and he was in the courtroom this week, as his lawyer argued the case before the Minnesota Supreme Court, saying afterwards... To me, this case comes down to, you're going to read, clear and simple, the language of the Constitution, which gives me the line item veto authority. Republican legislative leaders see it differently. House Majority Leader Joyce Pepin. I'm disappointed that the governor continues to fight this. This is a clear violation of the separation of powers. I thought the it's a pretty clear-cut case. Senate Majority Leader Paul Gazelka says if the Supreme Court rules in favor of Republican lawmakers... It's status quo. Uh, the governor still has all the power that he had. If they did rule in the governor's favor, he suddenly has more power than he's ever had before. In this week's oral arguments, Republicans' attorney Doug Kelly acknowledged the state constitution gives the governor power to veto, but he said the way Dayton used it rendered the legislature inoperative and unable to defend itself. One justice responded, the legislature is not abolished. But other justices wondered aloud what precedent would be set if a governor could veto funding for another branch of government. Dayton's attorney Sam Hansen responded the governor was left with few choices after Republicans inserted a measure in a tax cut bill that would eliminate funding for the state revenue department unless Dayton signed the bill. Hamlin University political analyst David Schultz says about the case. I still think at the end of the day that the legislature has the better argument, but I think in some ways... The governor helped himself a little bit, and I would say he helped himself um, not so much because of perhaps the arguments that were made, but perhaps because of who was on the Minnesota Supreme Court. And that's one of the things that I noticed, is that his appointees seemed to be trying to help the governor's attorney more so in terms of making in terms of making his case. I'm still not sure and still not convinced that he they've necessarily um, will vote for the governor um, at, in, at the final case. But I think that block of four appointees by Dayton is going to try to find some way of, of perhaps narrowing the loss for the governor. It was unusual in that a governor attended the actual oral arguments. That doesn't happen very often. Yeah, uh, I cannot think of the last yeah. time that, that I saw a governor attend uh, a Minnesota Supreme Court case at all. I think partly the governor was there to impress upon people how important this decision was to him. But I also think there might have been a more subtle message here, a message to his four appointees that this was an important decision to him. And what I'm hoping doesn't happen here is that this is a case where we see 
the four appointees by Dayton voting one way and the two Republican appointees voting in a different way, because at that point, it's going to make the decision look completely like it's politics, and it's going to look like that Dayton's appearance before the Minnesota Supreme Court was there just to intimidate. That's interesting, having a governor, having the defendant in the case, the respondent, I should say correctly, being actually in the courtroom, such a high-level respondent. Yes, yes, there's no question about it. But again, we have to think about the fact that this is, this is really a case, I'm going to say, among titans. You know, it's the legislature versus the governor with the Supreme Court resolving the matter. And no matter what happens, I think we can say two things comfortably. One is that the Supreme Court's power um, is going to increase as a result of this decision because they're getting to decide who wins, governor versus legislature. And then second, somebody at the end of the day is also going to win, legislature versus governor, and which also means that somebody's going to lose. So this is the decision that really affects all three branches of the Minnesota government. And I think that was reflected somewhat in the, in the questioning from the Supreme Court, because I think there were lots of interesting questions here asking, well, what are the limits of the governor's ability to be able to use the line-item veto? There were questions about whether the Supreme Court should hear the case or can it order temporary funding, as it has during previous shutdowns. And it also asked questions regarding whether or not the legislature contributed to some of its own problems um, in this case when it adjourned or in terms of putting in what some people refer to the poison pill into, into one of the omnibus bills. And so, Which kind it, of it, prompted this whole thing, the, the inclusion of the measure that would have, if the governor did not sign the tax bill, it would have discontinued funding for the Minnesota Department of Revenue, which is the tax collecting arm of, of state exactly, government. Yeah. Exactly. And so what we really saw were questions all about what the relative authority, and I'll say the rights and the wrongs committed by the three branches of government in Minnesota. That's what made it such a fascinating set of oral arguments. Now you don't get such a, fun, a case that is based on such, that, that is struggling with such fundamental principles all that often. Exactly, because it really did ask questions about the nature of what, again, what each of the different branches of government could do. I don't want to quite say it went back to the basics of, you know, the, the legislative branch does X, judicial branch does Y, you know, the executive branch does Z, but it got very close to that in terms of almost being a revisiting of high school civics at one level. But then, of course, it certainly weaved in between that some politics, which the court was at times struggling with. And I say that because technically politics is not supposed to be something that's um, factored into or considered when making legal decisions. But nonetheless, we, saw, we heard several of the justices talk about the reality of politics in terms of how it was affecting things that were going on. That's Hamlin University Professor David Schultz. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters will return in a moment. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Sweet Martha's cookies have been a fan favorite at the Minnesota State Fair for more than four decades. I recently spoke with Sweet Martha herself, Martha Rossini Olson, about what makes her cookies special and why she thinks people keep coming back for more year after year. Last year I spoke with you on opening day of the fair and you said that you would tell me the secret to what makes your cookies taste so good this year. So what is that? <laughs> It's not even true. But I was 
<laughs> That's funny. Um, the secret to making our cookies taste so good? Oh, I know that one. It's the ingredients. It's all, right. all those fa fresh, fantastic ingredients that we use. How many employees do you have and how many cookies do you plan to distribute through the run of the fair? Well, we just got those uh, uh, employees all suited up and ready to go this morning, the first morning of the fair. And we, this year, are hiring 620-some. So we have uh, a lot more employees this year. It seemed, uh, you know, every year we grow a bit, mm -hmm. so we have to hire some more. As far as some numbers go, our numbers from last year showed us that on some days we sold in one day over three million cookies. And we also uh, used about 54 tons of chips for the run of the 2016 Minnesota State Fair. How soon before the fair starts do you start preparation for the fair? In February we, we start um, working on our schedule and hiring people and that continues of course right up to today mm -hmm. you know we're constantly hiring and people have to change their schedules and so on and so forth and um, then as soon as uh, we're done with our demos which we do during the school year then during the summer we start working on our stands so june and july and august we're freshening up our stands making sure all the equipment works and um, just getting ready to go for the 12 days i'm always amazed when i order cookies at how well the workers are able to stack them and it seems like it would be a difficult thing to do is there a particular rule of thumb that they need to follow to be able to pile those cookies a good half a foot above the cone <laughs> basket? I think it sort of is a natural talent that they somehow require, in, you know, get as soon mm -hmm. as they start working here. When you see the smile on those customers' faces as they continue stacking, I think that's what really helps them and motivates them to uh, stack those cookies up. How long have you been making these cookies? Since 1979. We've been at the Minnesota State Fair. It's been, this will be our 39th year, so. What else do you like to make or bake besides cookies? When you're on your own, if you're at home, what's your specialty in addition to cookies? Oh my, I like any kind of dessert, to be honest, and I'm ready and willing to try any baked goods and eat them, love them. <laughs> so have you considered branching out uh, beyond cookies at some point? Well, we really have decided that that's our fort, is cookies, and so we, that we pretty well stay, stay with that. We do have in the grocery stores five other varieties of cookies that um, people buy, and they come frozen so that you can make them at home, get them fresh out of the oven just like you receive them here. So, Do you have any time to enjoy the fair, or are you working the whole time? Basically, to be honest, I'm working the whole time. <laughs> it's one of those things where when you're up to uh, this amount of personnel and um, production, it keeps a close eye. Uh, and to be able to keep everything running at these high rates, we really honestly do have to uh, be around. Because sometimes myself and my uh, partners, my husband Gary and Neil and Brenda O'Leary, 
we've got the experience and of course our our managers too but there are just so many little quirks and things that might happen that we have the answers to so that's why we we are out here the nickname is sweet martha would your employees agree with that nickname well i hope so <laughs> <laughs> okay so you you answered the question that you don't really have a ton of time to do anything other than work but do you have a fair favorite food other than the cookies? Oh, definitely. I have way too many fair favorite foods. I love them all. But um, we have such wonderful neighbors right here on our block that we eat. Um, Mancini's right across the street has fabulous food. Of course, Prano Pups, I love those. Um, the Hamlin Diner, love eating there. They've been around here. They're like the oldest uh, concession here at the fair. Um, Dino's Giro's and of course French Renault right across the street. The Peg is where I love to sit down and have lunch. In closing, I asked Sweet Martha what it means to her to be such an important part of Minnesotans' fair-going experience after all these years. Well, for me, to have that love bestowed on our booth like that is really quite the compliment and it makes me so proud. And the reason it is there is because of the people that we employ. They do such a fantastic job of helping us out in all these sometimes very stressful situations. And our managers just are able to handle that flow so wonderfully. A big thank you to my guest, Martha Rossini Olson. Minnesota Matters will return after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The countdown to the 2017-18 Minnesota Wild hockey season is on, but ahead of the opener, there are a couple of preseason events to get fans energized. The first kicks off this weekend at the Minnesota State Fair, and Tasha Radel has more. Wild fans are in for a treat this long holiday weekend. Now through Monday, fans can check out the NHL Centennial Fan Arena at the Minnesota State Fair. Here to explain the traveling exhibit is John Maher, Vice President of Brand, Broadcast, and Production for the Minnesota Wild. Welcome, John. Can you tell us more about the Fan Arena? Yeah, the National Hockey League has been celebrating throughout 2017 their centennial and uh, as a part of that, they've been traveling to each NHL city with this Centennial Fan Arena exhibit. And uh, our turn here in Minnesota is going to be this weekend at the Minnesota State Fair, um, Friday through Monday, including a visit from the Stanley Cup on Friday and Saturday for fans who would like to see that. But it's a great interactive um, exhibit that includes um, archived items from the history of the NHL, some more specific Minnesota Wild uh, history, and just some cool interactive uh, activities for fans to check out as well. And where are you located on the fairgrounds? It's right inside of the north gate when you come into the fairgrounds, and um, we'll be open you know, throughout the normal hours of the fair each day, 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. John, let's switch gears a bit and talk about a new tradition the Wild is kicking off this year. It's being dubbed... This is our ice. Yeah, we, over the off-season, um, talking about our, our fan, uh, the hockey community in Minnesota, there's so many kind of bonds that tie together all the people in the hockey community in Minnesota. And, um, you know, one of them is that shared um, fan fandom for the Minnesota Wild. And we wanted to come up with a way that the fans could feel 
connected to the wild, kind of no matter where they are in Minnesota. Some fans that are further away from St. Paul don't get to come to as many games. But what we're doing is we're inviting fans to collect water from the rinks, the lakes, the ponds in their community that that mean hockey to them. In the wintertime around here, our 10,000 lakes turn into 10,000 rinks, and a lot of hockey is played on those outdoor surfaces. So we wanted to invite people to share water from their hometown pond, bring it to XL Energy Center. We're going to take that water and add it to the ice at XL Energy Center. So every time you're watching a game throughout the season, you'll know that a little piece of your hockey community is a part of the ice at the XL Energy Center. I think this is such a a neat thing that's going to be happening. And when do folks bring in this water? Well, we're going to we're going to kick off the um, gathering collection of water at a, an event called Flood the Rink on Saturday, September 16th. There'll be a number of events going on that day, um, but we'll be we'll have a zamboni outside of Gate One of XL Energy Center from 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. that day, um, and people can bring water to be added to the zamboni that will later be added to uh, to our ice. Uh, in addition, on Saturday, September 16th, there's a number of other events to uh, take advantage of while you're coming down to the arena. The first is our breakaway, uh, wild breakaway 5K and 10K run, uh, which starts at 8.30 outside the arena. Our single game tickets for our uh, individual games uh, for the season coming up go on sale at 9 a.m. at the box office at the arena. And the wild will just be on their second day of training camp that day and there'll be an open practice for fans to check out at 9.45 a.m. So lots of stuff going on. Uh, the hockey season is just around the corner. And another thing, too, that I think is pretty neat, you're asking Wild fans to, to I guess, capture the moment of themselves collecting this, this water. Is that correct? Yep, we'd like to have fans, you know, take a, take a photo or a video on their device if, if it's capable of doing so. Uh, because what we want to do is, uh, over the course of the season, beginning at this event on the 16th, but then throughout the season, uh, water that are, is shared by the fans, we want to map it. And so we can show all the communities around Minnesota where water has come from and been shared and added to our rink. Well, pretty exciting. And uh, are, are you folks getting ready for the upcoming hockey season? Are you excited heading in? Yes, it's 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 not very far away. I just see this event is a little over two weeks away. Our uh, the first uh, ice is going into the arena over Labor Day weekend. That first layer of ice on our on our uh, rink. It's been a very busy uh, event season at the arena, but hockey's not too far away. All right. Well, I thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. You take care. Take care. Thanks, Tasha. For more information on the Centennial Fan Arena and the new This Is Our Ice tradition, you can head to wild.com. Thanks again to my guest, John Maher, Vice President of Brand Broadcast and Production for the Minnesota Wild. And Scott, in case you were wondering, the Wild opens the season on Thursday, October 5th in Detroit. Back to you. Thank you, Tasha. Minnesota Matters will return after this.
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The U of M Sports Pavilion will be named after former Golden Gopher Director of Athletics Joel Maturi on Saturday. Maturi spent 10 years at the helm of the department, merging the men's and women's programs under one roof, raising funds for a new on-campus football stadium, and spending countless hours watching events on campus. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm also serves as the radio voice of Gopher Athletics and sat down with Maturi for Minnesota Matters. Well, Joel Maturi, it's an exciting weekend for you. Um, I know when you set out to be an educator, you don't say, hey, someday I hope they name a building after me, but that ha- has to be quite an honor, I would think, when, uh, when when you look at what you've done and what you've accomplished and now to see this happen this weekend. Mike, I, I really honestly don't know how to respond. I've, I've been blessed uh, in, in the journey that I've had, whether it be a high school coach and teacher, uh, whether it be an administrator uh, at four different institutions, and certainly blessed to be here at the University of Minnesota. But to... to um, have a building named after me. I'm 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 lost for words. I, I'm I'm overwhelmed. I'm certainly humbled and and grateful and thankful. But but in the long run, if I if, if I can say this, I'm I'm thankful that the university is recognizing a transitional time and go for athletics. And obviously that began with the merger and the stabilization of, of, of finances and and the whole compliance aspect, the academic aspect that goes with it. And and certainly our teams for the most part did uh, tremendously well. But uh, to have a building named after you is. Um, is uh, one that leaves me kind of speechless. When you see, I suppose, I'm not exactly sure the process, what they'll do this weekend, but the, the curtain or whatever falls and your family name is up there, can you, uh, have you let your mind wander to what that emotion might be like? You know, I hope it doesn't get too much because I'm, I'm kind of an emotional guy as it is, as, as you know, and my entire family will be here, my three children, my five grandchildren, you know, uh, three of them all the way from, from California, um, a couple of my brothers from up north, uh, I've got my high school classmate from Chisholm coming in from New York, um, you know, I mean, I've got a lot of people who, who think this is pretty big, and, yeah. and, uh, and, and, and so it, it'll be a meaningful moment. Well, you certainly had impact on student-athletes. I think the thing I'll take away in watching your tenure here during my time when we overlapped was how you connected with students. You went to every event that was a home event. You'd walk in the hallways at Beerman. They'd say hello. You'd say hello. You knew who they were, what sport they participated in. Um, You made it an effort to make that connection with all 700 plus. Well, let's be honest, Mike. When I was hired, that was part of the purpose that I had to accomplish. I was hired to merge the department. I was hired to stabilize the, the finances, and I was hired to, to uh, improve the academics and, and, and the compliance components to it because those were the, the issues at the time. And fortunately for me, it was a good fit for me because that is my DNA. I, I and People wonder, how do you do it? I love doing it. I enjoy going to the tennis match, the gymnastics meet, the soccer game. I mean, I really do. Now, again, I'm not saying I don't love the football game, the basketball game, the hockey game, because I love those as well. And, and, and some of them, uh, you know, you have a better understanding of the, than others. But I love competition. I always have. Today's world is different. Mark Coyle has a different job than I did. He has a different charge than I did. Fundraising is as important as it was to raise money for TCF Bank Stadium. It wasn't 24-7 like it is today for him. Um, basketball and, and football success is even more significant than it was even at that time. That's how we're measured today. I'm not so sure it's right, but that's the, that's the reality of the, of the public image. And so, uh, you know, I, I was here at the right time for me. It was the right time for the university. Somebody else would have to determine that. One of the 
fun things too is you didn't go to many of those events alone. Your wife Lois came to a lot of them, whether it was a, as you mentioned, soccer or tennis or a banquet or a speaking engagement. Um, you guys uh, both enjoyed your time together uh, at all those things. Well, you know what? I'm certainly going to give her some credit when I do get to, to address the group on, on Saturday because, uh, uh, in some ways, she was better at it than I. Uh, she, you know, not that I don't like people, but I'm a little bit more reserved than some people might realize. And she likes people, and she can interact with anybody and everybody. And and uh, many of our donors will tell you that <laughs> I think they stepped to the plate because of her, <laughs> far more so than because of me. But uh, but uh, we've made a good team for 43 years, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll be able to stay healthy and be together for a few. More. There's football this uh, past uh, Thursday opened. Um, it has to give you a thrill knowing that it was on your watch that uh, this on-campus stadium was built back in uh, the late 2000s. I'm so proud of the stadium, as I know you are, too. There are not a lot of things that we'd have done differently. It's a great stadium, and I heard Coach Fleck talk about the ability to, to expand it, and we all the infrastructure is there. So, Coach, we're on your side. We hope it happens, and and uh, but it, it does give me a thrill, and, and uh, I don't miss a game, and, and I won't miss one this year as well. Last one for you. You mentioned Mark Coyle. He is a protege of yours. He was an assistant AD for you in charge of marketing uh, when you first came on board. Um, you mentioned the jobs are a little bit different. Uh, first of all, what do you think of, uh, of what he's done up to this point? What's the future hold here for Gopher Athletics as you watch it? Now a little bit more uh, from afar than, than you were before. Well, I, I think, and again, I remember Mark being here. In fact, uh, you know, Mark Coyle uh, was on the men's side, and I had to make decisions to decide who I would elevate, whether the person on the women's side or the person on the men's side. And and uh, good people on, on both sides of the aisle, so to speak, chose chose Mark. Uh, ended up being a very good decision. Uh, he did tremendous uh, work for us in our transitional time because that whole marketing and promotions aspect was, was significantly important. And, um, and then obviously moving to Kentucky, from there to Boise State, to, to, to Syracuse. Uh, he is a veteran administrator who's respected for his values and his integrity and for his work ethic and I think his vision. And I think Mark is the right fit for this time. Uh, and how long that is depends upon him and, and, and certainly the, the leadership of the university. But he's young enough that uh, I can see him being here a long time and I can see uh, Gopher Athletics uh, flourishing uh, under the leadership of Mark Coyle. Enjoy the weekend. Congratulations. Thank you, Mike. That's Mike Grimm and Joel Maturi. And that's going to do it for this week. Thank you, as always, for listening. And please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.